The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire that took place in Manhattan in 1911 was the deadliest industrial disaster in the history of the city and one of the deadliest in American history. At the center of it all, Max Blank and Isaac Harris, aka the Shirtwaist Kings, and the subjects of today's episode of History's Horrible Bosses. You ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Internal Customer Handbook, a work culture podcast for people who lead people. This unpublished book turned podcast is for people leaders who want to create 21st century work cultures that look nothing like, but this is how we've always done it. I am your host, Wendy Conrad, work culture strategist and founder of Your Happy Workplace. And if you are wondering if why and how ethical leadership and business can coexist, then you are in the right place. So glad you're here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the bonus episode of the Internal Customer Handbook Podcast. I am your host, Wendy Conrad. Today, for your consideration, in the History's Horrible Bosses series, The Shirtwaist Kings and the Triangle Factory Fire of 1911. Before we get into this, let's talk a little bit about working conditions in general at the time, because sweatshops were a regular business practice, commonplace. So the tycoons of the time could get the most profits possible. Businesses were unregulated, they're not being policed by the government in any way. Factories were unsafe. So there were many workplace accidents and deaths. And there was no minimum wage that wasn't implemented until 1938. Immigrants being exploited was commonplace. Hey, they're just immigrants. Who cares? Um, that was kind of the general feeling of a lot of these employers. So a lot of the subjects for history's horrible bosses it's not like they were doing things no one else was doing. They were just doing them extra. <laughs> there were a lot of shitty bosses during this time, but these are the names that made history. Okay, so today we're talking about the shirtwaist kings. Let's talk about these men. Isaac Harris was born in Russia in 1865. Max Blank was born a few years later. Um, there's not too many details on these men as individuals, but they came to America in their 20s. They both emigrated from Russia as part of really a huge wave of arrivals at the time from Eastern Europe in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. So as two broke young men, hey, they could start a sitcom. Uh, they endured <laughs> brutal working conditions of New York's tenement sweatshops themselves at their worst during the depression of the early 1890s. And many who survived these kind of working conditions became radicalized, becoming leaders and activists in the labor movement. Some, like Blank and Harris, became shop owners themselves. And it can be said, and I've read, that they moved the garment industry into a little bit better era because the working conditions they endured were so much worse than what they created in their businesses. So they thought, hey, we're, we're great bosses. Um, and having survived the worst themselves, they kind of 
grew blind to the ways in which garment shops continued to be crappy places to work. So, hey, the Triangle Factory is great compared to what we had. Why are you complaining? <laughs> so it's like, imagine you're sitting in a pool of shit while being lit on fire. Now you're just sitting in a pool of shit. You're not on fire anymore. So be grateful. So around the turn of the century, they married into the same family, their relatives, they know each other, and they soon went into business together manufacturing these shirt waists. So the shirt waist is, uh, you know, at the time, it was seen as very modern. You know, typically women were expected to wear full dresses, but now they could wear these shirt waist shirts, which were modeled after men's shirts, and a skirt, or two separate pieces, versus wearing a dress. And they became so popular that this popularity actually influenced how they were made because they wanted to keep up with this high demand. And these shitty working conditions were kind of how they did that. Blank and Harris, they own the Triangle Factory, 1908. It hits the million dollar mark. Now, this is almost $32 million in today money. They purchased the 10th floor of this building for their administrative offices and eventually they grew to include the eighth and the ninth floors and they're producing more than a thousand shirt waists a day and the triangle factory had become the largest manufacturer of these blouses in new york earning them the nickname the shirtwaist kings so as their status and business grew harris and blank enjoyed much more lavish lifestyles. They moved from their tiny, crappy apartments on the Lower East Side to large brownstones on the Upper West Side, overlooking the Hudson River. They had several servants. By the end of the decade, they were showing up at the factory in chauffeured cars. So you can imagine how these workers are looking out the window from their sewing machine, watching them show up in these limousines. Um, Harris and Blank's factory was competing with over 11,000 other textile manufacturers in New York City. So in order to retain and sustain this kind of high level of profit that they were enjoying and not sharing with their workforce, they had to produce the cheapest shirt waste in the largest quantity. So they demanded that their workers do long hours for little pay. And this was a true sweatshop employing young immigrant women mainly who worked in this cramped space in these lines of sewing machines. I'm sure you've seen those old photographs of these sweatshops where just rows and rows of sewing machines, barely any elbow room, just stacked on top of each other. And nearly all of the workers were teenage girls who didn't speak English. They worked 12 hours a day, every day for just $15 a week. And that's about $450 in today's money. That's a week for 12-hour days, seven days a week. So that's less than 20 cents an hour. Less than six, it's about six and change dollars an hour in today's money. But they're working 72, 80 hours a week. So... In this particular building, they had this high loft ceiling, which gave their workers more open air, which was considered much better than the, the sweatshops of the past. But this also meant that employers could pack more workers in the same space. 
while still adhering to this 250 cubic feet of air <laughs> per person, which was the legal minimum at the time. But the reality was no one gave a shit, including city authorities. So no one's paying attention to these laws against crowding. And Harrison Blank kept scrupulous inventory of their supplies. They had a foreman who would monitor their workforce workforce during the day. They inspected the women's bags as they left for the night. And as an additional kind of you know, we don't want you stealing, safeguard, Max Blank ordered the secondary exit door to be locked. There were only two exits out and one of them was locked. So now there's only one. So, and this was regular practice. Uh, Workers could only leave through this single door where they and their handbags were kind of frisked for stolen goods. So, All of these crappy conditions at the time, not just at the Triangle, but in other uh, factories in the garment industry, kind of led to this rise of industrial feminism and the labor movement, which this kind of bubbling is getting Blank and Harris worried. So in an attempt to kind of thwart this, they set up this fake in-house union in hopes of kind of putting the kibosh on any labor unrest or solidarity they notice among the workers. But it it was fake. The officers of this quote-unquote union were all relatives of Blank and Harris. And if they did find a troublemaker on the payroll, they would just fire them. So when the International Ladies' Garment Workers' Union led a strike in 1909 demanding higher pay and shorter hours, this was kind of an uprising. The strike affected many businesses in the Manhattan Garment District. Blank and Harris's company was one of the few manufacturers who resisted, and instead of recognizing this garment workers union, they hired strike breakers, scabs, a.k.a. scabs. They commissioned thugs, they use the word thugs, I don't know, Um, to beat up strikers. They pressured police to arrest young workers on the picket line, and they paid off politicians to look the other way when all of this shit was going down at these strikes. They called this strike and movement the uprising of the 20,000. That gives me such 300 vibes, the movie 300. The uprising of the 20,000. So this strike goes on for several months, and as it's winding down, some of their demands are met regarding pay and hours, but the unsafe working conditions continued. And by the end of the strike, the majority of all shirt, shirt waist makers in New York had joined this union. That was 1909 when the strike happens, and Blank and Harris's response, or lack thereof, to this strike kind of gave them a place, an infamous place in labor movement history, but their names become far more notorious later. And that later comes on March 25th, 1911. It's a Saturday afternoon. There are 600 workers at the factory when a fire began in the rag bin one of the rag bins close to closing time. And within 18 minutes, the fire was over. 
49 workers had burned to death or were suffocated by the smoke. 36 were dead in the elevator shaft. 58 died from jumping to their own decks because they had nowhere to go. Two more died later from their injuries with a total of 146 people killed by the fire. 123 women and girls and 23 men. Most of the victims were recent Italian or Jewish immigrant women and girls aged 14 to 23. Now, the danger of fire in factories like the Triangle Shirtwaist factory was well known, but there's so much corruption in the garment industry and local government and police at the time, no one gave a shit, and as a result, no useful precautions were taken to prevent fires. Blank and Harris already had a suspicious history of factory fires. The Triangle Factory had two fires in 1902. Their other, one of their other factories, the Diamond Waste Company Factory, also had two fires, 1907 and 1910. And it's been said that Blank and Harris deliberately torched their factories before business hours in order to collect on the large fire insurance policies that they're buying. Not an uncommon practice in the early 20th century. And while this was not the cause of this infamous 1911 fire, it did contribute to the tragedy because Blankenharris refused to install a sprinkler system, which were available at the time, and take other safety measures just in case, oh, we might need to burn this factory down. We might need some money. There is a great podcast that I discovered in my research for this History's Horrible Bosses episode called Dark History. And she has a great episode. It's episode nine. I'll link it in the show notes where she recounts the events of the day. Um, it's it's awful. It's, it's terrible. Now, Blank and Harris were in the building when the fire started. One of them, I think, had a couple of his kids there. And they escaped via the rooftops while their workers were left behind to burn. After the fire, they are running advertisements in the New York Times defending themselves, which, let's be honest, this is just PR serving as damage control to save their rep because now they're worried about their business. Um, people were outraged, demanding justice. They were indicted on just seven counts of manslaughter. Seven. Wasn't it 146 people that died? The jury of all men acquitted them. What? Saying that neither of the men knew about the locked door, despite all this testimony that the prosecution had. Ugh. To avoid the angry mob that was waiting for them of family members and other people outside the courthouse demanding justice, the two men were snuggled, smuggled through a side exit away from their waiting limousine. So they took the subway instead. Snakes. And they immediately relaunched the Triangle Company, moved the, it from the old building to a building down the street. A year later, they were caught sewing fraudulent labels into their shirtwaists that claimed these clothes are made under sound conditions. 
1913, Max Blank was charged for the same thing at a different factory, locking a door during work hours. And he was warned during an inspection that the factory was not safe and had many fire hazards. He only had to pay a $25 fine. And the judge in that case ended up apologizing. You know, I'm really sorry, but I got to give you this $25 fine. Ridiculous. After the fire, only some of the victim's families could afford to bring a civil suit. And it took many years. It resulted in $75 settlement for each victim. But Max and Isaac actually made money off of their dead workforce. They collected a huge chunk, a change from the insurance company. Their insurance payout was $60,000 at that time, or more than $400 per dead worker, if we're going to break it down that way. And $60,000 is more than $1.8 million today. By 1918, after this insurance settlement is done, they kind of threw in the towel and disbanded the company. Max Blank dies in 1942. Isaac Harris dies in 1954. And not all of the fire victims were identified. The final six victims of the fire were finally identified in 2011, 100 years after the tragedy. And historians assumed that because these were young, recent immigrants without families or anyone in America that could identify them, them that this was the reason for this. Uh, but there was a independent researcher, Michael Hirsch, who was really bothered by that fact and made it one of his missions to spend several years poring over these manuscripts, newspapers, records, sift through the information and the misinformation that had kind of grown up around this tragedy. And he's the reason that these final six victims were finally identified. So here we are over a hundred years later, and people are still fighting and protesting over the same issue, the right of working people to organize. Think Starbucks, Amazon, Apple, all these unions that we're seeing coming up now and the struggles around them. And the robber barons of today are still resisting. It's the same movie, different theater. So that's the story of Max Blank and Isaac Harris, the shirtwaist kings who went down in infamy as a result of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire of 1911. Today's subject of history's horrible bosses it's a long one today. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Internal Customer Handbook Podcast. Please subscribe and share with friends. Want to send an email for the mailbag segment? I'd love to answer your work culture questions or hear your bad boss or toxic workplace stories to be shared right here on the podcast. Email me at wendy at yourhappyworkplace.com. Want to support the podcast and my work? Contribute at throwconfettiatme.com. Yes, you heard that right. Throwconfettiatme.com. It's an actual website. My dog agrees. 
Thanks for listening. Bye for now.